hello and welcome to another Quarren stream. I am Joe Magician and I want to have a good time with you this Saturday. We're going to talk about another one of my favorite topics. Last stream, we talked quite a lot about the Weirwoods and all the very strange things about them, but we kind of glossed over the role of their primary worshipers, the tenders or the trees themselves. And that is, of course, the children of the forest. Today, we'll be fixing that. And we'll be talking all about those strange, what else, I guess, fairies themselves, or as they called themselves, those who sing of the earth. Much better name than children of the forest. Those sort of cat psychic elves that despite being 100% dead and gone are actually still alive and manipulating the humans from their hidden cities in their hollow hills. Ah, I love the children of the forest. It's a great one. Yes, the Dryads of Doom. Uh, before we get going, as usual, um, slam that like button if you could. Subscribe if this is your first time here. Uh, hit that bell button for notifications. All these things help with making sure YouTube knows that you enjoyed the video and therefore it will recommend it to other people. It's a very, a very hungry beast. It demands quite a lot, but also um, comments afterwards are always good. At 150 likes today, we put on the wizard hat. I made sure to grab and at 175 we got the uh the germ hat ready to go and actually last time we hit 200 likes at which point i had to scramble with what to do so that time i read a excerpt from the tattered prince uh script so if we get to 200 again i'll read you another part of it maybe the intro i'm not sure but yeah slam that like button really appreciate it if you want to support me, um, pinned in the chat, there's a PayPal link. If you would like to you do that, there's also super chats, super stickers, um, and uh, my Patreon link, patreon.com slash Joe Magician, which we very relevant and a good thing to sign up for very soon. I also want to say thank you to the uh, people who have already, already sent in um, PayPal's and super chats and all that other kind of stuff. Dan McKay sent me uh, $5 saying happy Saturday. Thank you, Danny. Uh, there was also $10 from uh, Ramona Zamfir. Um, I don't think there was a message to that one. I think it was just, here you go. Thank you. Yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> and before the stream, we also had um, Stephanie Spain. She gave $5 saying busy today, but I'll definitely be watching later. Thank you for the great content. And Maura Lee, who gave $25 and $10. Ashiba, thank you. And a nice message from Maura. Haven't seen you around in a more. Glad you got the... Got some time to sit down and have a good stream. Um, especially about the children of the forest. One of the one of the stranger and more magical parts of the story. And I wanted to thank some new patrons um, since the last video. I mean, since the last stream, um, three new patrons. Oh, no, four new patrons have signed up. Uh, Joanne Evans, David Hubbard, Stephanie Staggers and Miss Loaf. So thank you guys very much for signing up. And the reason a really good idea to sign up to my Patreon, uh, especially this week, is because the Tattered Prince video is done. I finished it. It's done. You guys. <laughs> I actually did it. I finished the video. Well, it's sort of done. The, the content itself is done. The theory, the all that other stuff. The only stuff I have to add in is the giveaway. There'll be a giveaway with this upcoming video. Um, I have to set it up. I have to record a little thing talking about how to enter it. But yeah, so make sure you watch for the Tattered Prince one. 
Uh, the giveaway will be attached to it. But also, I'm going to start, I'm going to open up the um, a Threadless shop for all that sweet magician merch. And as part of that, uh, what I'm going to do is... So th this is basically how it's going to work. I put this up on Patreon. I put it in the Patreon Slack. But also, just to explain it to you guys, uh, the Threadless shop will probably be going up this week. Everyone who is a $5 and up patron... As of when it goes live, I will send you one free shirt. Um, there's some really good ones with the current logo, the old logo, the um, the spooky tree, and a <laughs> special a special ass waffle one <laughs> that uh, Mallory made, which is just incredible. Um, patrons below five dollars will get a uh, a discount code, but if you're a patron that is below five dollars, but you've given more than twenty dollars. Over the lifetime of your, your subscription, you'll also get one too. So we're going to be sending these out. Well, I'm going to be sending them out. Um, it's basically like uh, if you guys are subscribed to Nauticast, they did the whole thing where they gave away a whole bunch of free ones. So we'll be doing that. So if you're looking for a time to sign up for Patreon, now would be the time. Um, yeah, so look for the tire prince video will probably be going up like probably monday for patrons at the um at the 10 and 20 dollars and up level tuesday for five dollars for ten dollars and up and wednesday for everybody else oh other people were in their san rickian merch she's got a lot of merch got a lot of good merch especially since we just learned that vagar's real coloring she's gonna go wild with that one <laughs> so yeah all that stuff's coming up um going to be a busy week for me personally <laughs> have to set up a giveaway and all the other kind of stuff oh there we go morally <laughs> just pledged ten dollars on patreon more's getting a shirt that's how that works um thank you mora i think that makes her an archmaster level patron if i remember the tiers right all right so let's go back Let, let's talk about these children of the forest oh thank you and i'm glad the the mic sounds good well it's a new mic plus a preamp and an audio interface that's sweet sweet um stimulus money all the merch micah all the merch so i have an opening quote for you uh this one i believe is from jojen reed and that's one of my favorites about the children of the forest and it really is used by george in order to set the scene oh i hit backwards on my thing there we go <clears throat> in a sense those you call the children of the forest have eyes as golden as the sun but once in a great while one is born amongst them with eyes as red as blood or green as the moss on a tree in the heart of the forest by these signs do the gods mark those they have chosen to receive the gift the chosen ones are not robust and their quick years upon the earth are few for every song must have its balance but once inside the wood they linger long indeed a thousand eyes, a hundred skins, wisdom deep as the roots of the ancient trees. Green seers. Oh, that always gives that always gives me uh, chills when Jojen's speech. Like he's a very dramatic young man, but I, I love his his speeches and how it can it conveys sort of a um, I don't know. It almost sounds like something out of Tolkien. That's kind of what it sounds like. <laughs> sounds like butter. All right, cool. I'm glad this one's working out. So let's start off with that. I mean, they're called the children of the forest. The name for themselves are those who sing the song of the earth. And 
who exactly is this the species? What are we talking about here? Well, as far as we can tell, the children of the forest. I'm just going to call them that the rest of the way because that is way shorter than those who sing the song of the earth every time. Uh, but as far as the world of ice and fire and old Nan's stories, which are, of course, 100 percent true. Uh, they are the original residents of Westeros um, in terms of humanoid sentient species. Although there is sort of a weirdness that giants are there too. Um, maybe they were coexisting. Maybe the giants came later. Maybe they came from somewhere else. But as far as we can tell, the uh, the children of the forest were the first ones there. But again, there is there's some weird evidence to the contrary besides the giants. For instance, it appears that before the first men, some humans did come to Westeros. We have the oily black stone at Battle Isle, um, the oily black stone at uh, Mokalen. You have the sea stone chair, which is essentially sound found on the beach. Stories of the old ones. It's complicated, but basically the children of the forest owned Westeros top to bottom um, from Dorne all the way to be beyond where the wall is um into the lands of always winter that was that was all that was all the children of the forest um all these stories though of them interacting with the giants and maybe settlers from maybe the great empire of the dawn or valyria or just some other civilizations that were out there like maybe the Lengi or something like that it shows that the the children were not like peaceful peace loving just hanging out in the trees species they were well acquainted to dealing with invaders and essentially telling them to get lost for for a while they, they kind of failed at that one <laughs> eventually um yeah poor quentin does have a, a great jojen voice isn't poor he's jojen is poor quentin and it is poor is a jojen like absolutely he he just is <laughs> Hopefully there's no Emmett, um, Emmett Pace, though. Oh, that'd be a grim ending for him. But yeah, very much the same kind of person. <laughs> um, and uh, quite a lot of the legends of the Children of the Forest tell us that they were in conflict with the giants. Now, this one's a little confusing because there are real giants in Westeros. There are, I mean, there's obviously uh, there's one one. There's the giants that fought alongside Mance. Like they're they're not they are real. But also, if you consider the way the children of the forest would view everyone else, they might consider regular humans also giants. So that one could go either way. I mean, literal giants, the ones that are the like one one in those, but they could this could also be referring to humans. Uh, there's some stories about them fighting. There's some stories about like a giant king, like drinking lots of blood and killing everybody. But by the time we get to the current story, that that whatever that conflict is, appears to have gone away. There's there's not enough giants left. There's not enough children of the forest for whatever rivalry that was to exist. Um, the children of the forest are also the quote unquote founders of what we call the old God religion, uh, the original worshipers of the weirwoods, at least in Westeros. Um, it's said that they are the one who carved all the faces in the trees across Westeros. Um, they also, um, are serve as the green seers or the quote unquote three eyed ravens, whatever that person is, maybe like the leader of the green seers, if that's like a title or something. Um, 
they sort of um, served as the priest class, at least for quite a long time. Um, and the children of the forest themselves have their society and culture is built entirely around around the weirwoods. Um, they lived around them. They worshipped them. They were their gods. They were their ancestors. They were everything. The two are almost impossible to separate, although apparently the weirwoods came first. Um, we also see that the it seems very likely that the children of the forest are probably the source of the powers that we see from human skin changers. There's only two known species in the world. Well, maybe two. Um, there's some there's some debate, mostly led by me, about whether or not ghost is a skin changer as well. But the only two species we definitely know that can use these kind of psychic powers are, of course, the humans and the children of the forest. And since, um, hang on a second. Oh, uh, uh, PayPal here from um, Amy Blackfire. $20, very generous, Amy. Thank you. Glad to have you back. It's on a Saturday without some gym magician. Thanks for all you do. No, thank you, Amy. That's very sweet of you. Um, it seems like the humans gain their powers later. There's the story of the war King and the Starks and eventually skin changing made its way into the first men, not so much the Andals. Maybe there's some kind of cross beating reading or like some sort of awakening magical abilities within the humans. But it seems very likely that the powers probably came from the children first. Um, yeah, Alex, I thought they only carved them after the pact. I was talking about that in the Weirwood stream uh, last time, that it's interesting that the Isle of Faces did not have faces when the pact was fine. They did it afterwards. And it's mentioned that it's done so the gods can see over it. So apparently the children, I would guess, carved the faces in the trees after the pact as a way of keeping tabs on the humans. And that was kind of a... um a compromise or trick that they used in order to make sure that they were adhering to the terms of what they did. We'll get to the pact later, but um, we also know that children uh, live primarily in deep woods in these in kind of like tribal structures, but also mostly in caves, especially the um, the green seers and the uh, skin changers. And we have lots of examples throughout the story. Other people have documented this and talked about their meaning. But just a brief list here. We have uh, Casterly Rock. The entire mountain itself used to be a giant children of the forest city. Uh, we have Blood Raven's Cave. Obviously, we've seen in the story underneath that weirwood. There's endless tunnels. Uh, there's also a cave under High Heart uh, where the Brotherhood Without Banners live. Very likely used to be a similar kind of thing. Uh, there's also that cave in the Rainwood from the Winds of Winter. Spoilers, they go into a Children of the Forest cave in the Rainwood. Um, it also raises the possibility that maybe Gorn's Way is an ancient Children of the Forest city that they carved out or they used like they did with these other ones. And um, my favorite tinfoil about where they used to live and they don't live now would be the Winterfell Crypts. It is... The link between the children of the forest and the Starks is so strong. And there's just this convenient, weird cave structure underneath the Starks home with a weirwood and brand the builder. And it's like, it seems like they may have built over or taken over a children of the forest um, 
home, that kind of thing. Oh, uh, Stephanie uh, Staggers just upped her uh, Patreon Patreon donation. Um, looks like she wants to get that shirt. All right, Stephanie, you're on board. <laughs> yes, it is a it's a holiday weekend for me too. Um, Oh, good question from Hedgehogs and Cats Are Life. If the Weirwoods are one big interconnected organism, is the original Sproutling near the God's Eye? I would say no. I think it's probably underneath the wall that the uh, the Black Gate is Ig the Demon Tree. And um, that was like the world tree basically for the children of the forest that got cut down at some point. That would be my guess. Um, the Isle of Faces seems to have come later. It was definitely... Um, Oh, another uh, Patreon sign up from Kevin Barker. Thank you, Kevin. Oh, did I say thank you? Thank you. <laughs> did I not say thank you? Um, there's a lot going on today. Oh, thank you. Nice, good haircut. Um, so. Yeah, they, they lived around the weirwoods. They have these caves. It appears that the green seers and the skin changers live primarily in the caves. And uh, so let's go into a discussion of um, kind of what are they? What, what are the children of the forest? Because we're just sort of talking about like where they lived and like some basic overview. Um, the first descriptions we get from them in a Game of Thrones is sort of they sort of sound like elves or maybe like fairies or the fae or something like that. They're kind of just like small creatures that lived among the trees and did quote unquote tree things. We don't get a lot more information about that. Um, they have been absent from Westeros society for so long that really there's, there's very little information left. Um, just these vague stories. Um, yeah. Yeah. They really modern humans don't know what they were. They don't know what they look like. They basically get nothing. Um, so this is a description we get um, from. I forget where this is from, but this is a good quote of basically the West Jersey idea of what they were. It says they were people dark and beautiful, small of stature, no taller than children, even when grown to manhood. They lived in the depths of the woods in caves and crannogs and secret tree towns. Slight as they were, the children were quick and graceful. Male and female hunted together with weirwood bows and flying snares. Their gods were the gods of the forest, stream and stone, the old gods whose names are secret. Their wise men were called green seers and carved strange faces into the weirwoods to keep watch on the woods. How long the children learned here and where they came from, no man can know. Mmm. Very suspicious. Yeah, basically no description of them there. Dark and beautiful and small. That tells us basically nothing about what they looked like. Um, this also raises the question, which is answered in A Dance with Dragons by Leaf when she's talking to Bran, is that like, if a human saw Children of the Forest, would they even know what they were looking at? Probably not. I would say most likely not that... They could probably see a child of the forest right in front of them and not know what they were looking at. Um, 
That is how long they've been missing from history. You can identify a giant, but children just look like like small people, sort of. Um, but we finally get to meet them in a dance with dragons. Bran gets a real good look at these long vanished woods walkers. Uh, a couple of long quotes here. Um, <clears throat> so this is Bran when he first sees Leaf. He says, "That was not Arya's voice, nor any child's. It was a woman's voice." high and sweet with a strange music in it like none he had ever heard and a sadness that he thought might break his heart. Bran squinted to see her better. It was a girl, but smaller than Arya, her skin dappled like a doze beneath a cloak of leaves. Her eyes were queer, large and liquid, gold and green, slitted like a cat's eyes. No one has eyes like that. Her hair was a tangle of brown and red and gold, autumn colors, the vines and quit twigs and withered flowers woven through it. And then we get another um, another explanation later. Um, is that another Patreon? Hang on a second. Let me check my notifications. I want to make sure that this thing isn't going funny on me. Um, okay, so that's the same one from earlier. It just did it again. Okay. <laughs> Notification thing is going wild. Um, yes. Yes, they're like halflings. They're kind of like halflings. George's version of halflings. Um, though the men of the seven kingdoms might call them children of the forest, Leaf and her people were far from childlike. Little wise men of the forest would have been closer. They were small compared to men as a wolf is smaller than a dire wolf. That does not mean it is a pup. They had nut brown skin dappled like a deer's with paler spots and large ears that could hear things that no man could hear. Their eyes were big too, great golden cat's eyes that could see down passages where a boy's eyes saw only blackness. Their hands had only three fingers and a thumb, sharp black nails, sharp black claws instead of nails. Mmm. So a very different picture. Um... The thing that Bran brings up quite a lot is the cat's eyes. And it seems like George is trying to maybe signal that that the children of the forest did not descend from primates like humans did. Maybe they descended from a species of cat because they have claws. They have those weird slit eyes. He brings it up twice. But I did do a little bit of research before this, and I just wanted to note that cats are nowhere near the only creatures that have um, vertical slit eyes instead of the the round ones like we have. Um, in fact, not all cats have slit eyes. Big cats like lions and tigers actually have round eyes like us. Um, lizards have slit eyes. The explanation from biologists is basically that having vertical slit eyes is it allows creatures that are ambush hunters to see really, really well in low light conditions, uh, which you know makes a lot of sense. The children lived in the quote unquote deep woods in caves, so having eyes that allow them to see way better in the dark is an advantage. Yeah, tough planned it all. Well, tough is George, so their love of cats is similar. Um, also, the idea of the three fingers and a thumb with claws instead of nails. The idea of the claws um, points against it. Maybe they're like some sort of offshoot of like a humanoid cat species. But that's that's not totally true. Um, there are primates that still have claws that don't have nails like we do. Um, and not only that, but five fingers is not universal among primates. There are primates that have four fingers. Um, 
So the the basic idea between that and you, and when you take together the um, the vertical slit eyes, basically how it works in nature is if it's a small ambush predator, they tend to have vertical slit eyes. If they're larger and they're not they're not really ambushing in the dark, then they have round eyes. So it may be that they may be like some sort of cat like species, but they also could very well be um, just an offshoot of a different primate species, which it kind of seems like they are. They tend to um, live in the trees. They they climb and walk like um, other humanoids. So maybe going that way. Um, yeah. Guilty Undertaker. The um, one of the examples is foxes to wolves. Wolves have round eyes, but foxes, which are just smaller canines, have the vertical slit eyes. So that may be the relationship George isn't a biologist, though, so who knows what he's going for? He seems to be keying in really heavy on the idea that the ideas are that the eyes are like slits, though. So I don't know. It could go either way. Um, oh, another Patreon subscription. Um, let's see here. Tim Kelly. Thank you, Tim. Thank you for the $20. Um, Wow, quite a lot signing up today. Let me check PayPal. Um, I'm not used to being interrupted this much by people giving me stuff, but there we go. Okay, nothing on PayPal. Good. Yeah, they evolved to live underground. They evolved to live in the deep woods. Um, kind of like halflings, like you guys were talking about, like hobbits. They may be some sort of fusion in George's mind of elves and hobbits. Um, the hobbits don't like the trees, but what if they did? Maybe that's how you get children of the forest, that kind of thing. Um, the, the, the best idea is probably since it seems like they may have been mixing between humans and the children of the forest at some point that there is a long lost common ancestor between humans and the children of the forest, um, that they are probably both primates. It's just from something further back. Yeah. Everyone wants those sweet, sweet shirts. Um, so let's go on to their, uh, their society and culture. So it appears that they lived in very small groups or tribes that were spread out all over the forest that were um, based around caves and weirwoods. Uh, nothing like modern society like we would understand. Um, they also have sort of a gender neutral society where it didn't matter male or female. Um, they could do all the same things. We don't really have an idea of any kind of like government structure for them. Did they have chiefs? Were there leaders? Were there kings among the children of the forest? Don't really know. It appears that maybe they just sort of took their marching orders from the weirwoods since they literally can't talk to them. But um, there, we have no stories of a famous child of the forest, so we can't really know. Um, oh, yes, the patron slack. That's right. I'll, I'll send you guys all the links after the stream. I uh, can't do that one now, unfortunately. That'd be too much work. Uh, so, it, but it does seem that there is sort of a structure of, um, I'm not sure if it's power, but there's definitely rarity. So it seems like basically everyone in the Children of the Forest Society could be what were called wood dancers. Um, they were the hunters and the warriors. They used obsidian knives and weirwood bows, and um, they would hunt prey and obviously enemies sometimes too. Uh, this is just sort of like the everyday child of the forest. They would swing through the trees. They would run through the forests, hunt down animals to eat them. They were not vegetarians. Um, 
There may have been a craftsman class um, that fashioned the bows and harvested and chipped the obsidian, but maybe not. They have such they had such smaller societies that it may have been on each wood dancer to go fashion their own bow and make their own knife and that kind of things. Um, their weapons are so simple that an individual person could be shown how to do it on their own and make their own rather than having like a dedicated craftsman class. They also didn't farm, so that didn't really come up. Um, <laughs> Wizard's Apprentice. Do I need an assistant? No, no, I don't. I'm nowhere near that. Um, maybe just today. Yeah, make your own lightsaber, that kind of thing. Um, especially in these kind of um, tribal societies, it was usually up to the individual kind of a rite of passage to make your own weapons. So that would make a lot of sense. Uh, next up from the wood dancers, and these are not exclusive. You know, a skin change. There's the skin changers. A skin changer could be a wood dancer too. Um, but uh, it appears in their society, skin changers were something closer to like magicians or kind of wizards. Um, we see skin changers in the modern story too. These are the um, people that are able to control animals with their minds and see through their eyes, basically that kind of thing. Um, the Starks do it with their direwolves. Jeremy of Six Skins does it with all of his six animals. Um, it also appears that there was quite a lot of animal differentiation among the children of the four skin changers at the siege of high heart. It said that all sorts of animals showed up to fight the Andal King and Eric, the Kinslayer. Um, they may have the ability, they may have had the ability to skin change literally every animal except for maybe humans. Um, their connections with nature itself and their idea of the true speech is kind of like um, kind of leads to that idea that they're more in tune with things. So maybe they can control more things. Maybe it was less rare for children of the forest to have multiple um, to have multiple animals that they could control. Although we do know that they tended to favor ravens. Um, that was one of their that was one of their favorite animals to go through. They enjoyed flying. Um, let's see here. What are you guys talking about? Uh, yes, you guys are talking about the E.T. ish last hero figure. Uh, Amy Blackfire saying the woman with the monkey's tail. Um, some have made the connection between them, the children of the forest, and that legend that maybe they're. The, the woman with the monkey's tail was actually a child of the forest, even though she does not have a monkey. Children of the forest don't have tails. Um, but the idea that there is a. A kind of a. Another species around a magical species that has more in connection with uh, primates than humans obviously do would um, would be interesting. Maybe that's what they're talking about. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. to <laughs> the gray waste. Um, Maybe I shouldn't keep on the uh, the alert then if it's going to do that to people. Um, whoops. Sorry about that. Um, uh, Alex asks, pre-Arm of Dorm breaking is possible the children of the forest span the whole world, especially since we have similar species described outside Westeros. Yes, this is a question I got on um, on twitter and other places um 
the kingdom of Ifriquevron. So this is a, a forest kingdom in the northern part of Essos that seems very likely to have a also a native population of children in the forest that were there or used that are there or used to be there. Um, it's when you look at Essos and when you look especially at the Dothraki Sea, there's basically no trees left anywhere. Um, there's some forests in western Essos, but pretty much they're all gone. It's been turned to grassland or desert, except for the kingdom of Ifriquefron. There's this giant, giant forest there, and there's stories of haunted grottos, and they're called by the Dothraki the, the wood walkers. There's even talk of um, a specific place where there's trees with faces on them. So this all seems... Um, very, very similar to Children of the Forest. It may have been that the, the interactions between Children of the Forest and the First Men and the Andals was repeated all over the world, that they used to be everywhere. And there's been a long dying for them, essentially them being pushed out of their, um, their homes, being pushed out of the forests, and essentially just retreating westward, trying to get away from them. Oh, uh, thank you for the super sticker. $10 from Joan. Oh, look at that adorable pair doing workouts amazing thank you thank you very much um i mean there's no reason they couldn't um their society functions wherever there's trees um they don't need to build up any infrastructure they don't need to farm any land they don't need to do anything like that anywhere they can hunt and live in trees and if they could plant a weirwood there then they probably would go there that would um there's no reason they couldn't have lived worldwide at some point. That's it's very, very possible. Um, much in the same way that you see, like after the fall of the Valyrian Empire, that there's these random pockets all over the world that are still them or, or the, the remnants of their empire. It may be that the Westerosi children of the forest and their weirwoods is the last vestiges of what used to be a global population. Um and as we, as I talked about last time, and uh, Amanda or Crow Foods daughter has talked about quite a lot, it really seems like the uh, shade of the evening trees you've seen in Carth are like some kind of corrupted weirwood, which again would suggest that there used to be weirwoods everywhere. Oh, uh, sent in a question over Patreon. Uh, let me check this out. Um, question here from readers of the gray waste. They, um, with their donation, they sent in a, uh, a question. According to Maester Yandel, the children of the forest lived in the land of always winter during the dawn age. To me, this implies the lands of always winter once habitable before they became permalocked in winter. What are your thoughts? I agree with that. Um, I think definitely that the others have changed the lands of always winter into what they are today. Um, it seems just way too obvious that the creatures that control cold and live in it um turned that area into what it is today um similar to what we've seen in essos where some sort of cataclysmic um ecological disasters happened and turned what used to be a forest covered continent into basically grassland same kind of thing um yeah i think that's a great insight and the show did that too um they portrayed that um when the Night's King was created, I mean, there's no Night King in the book as far as we know, but the basic idea is that the children created the others. And then from there, their, their cold powers took over that region. Um, 
Yeah. Great insight. I agree. Um, oh, uh, super chat here from Jaded Redhead. $10. Happy name day to Kate B. Oh, Kate, is it your birthday? Are you in here? Happy birthday, Kate. Um, all right. So let's what, what was I talking? I was talking about green seers. Um, I use this quote at the beginning, but the basic idea is that even among skin changers, there's an extra class of power above them. And those are called the green seers. A uh, blood raven gives us essentially the, the numbers on how few there are in the real world. So it says only one man in a thousand is born a skin changer. Lord Brynden said one day after Bran had learned to fly, only one skin changer in a thousand can be a green seer. So extraordinarily rare green seers. They don't come around around very often, but all green seers are skin changers, but not all skin changers are green seers. If that makes sense. Um, it seems to be an escalation in power, like really hitting the button to um, to go through the roof. Um, and these seem to be almost the elite of the Children of the Forest Society, um, largely due to their connections with the Weirwoods. These are the ones that bond with the Weirwoods, like uh, Bran and Bloodraven. We see the other green seers in Bloodraven's cave. Um, they are the closest to the gods. They are sort of like the priests or the holy men. The maesters call them, quote unquote, wise men. But um, I think that's an understatement of um, what their powers are like. And I talked last week about other stories in George's Thousand Worlds, and they seem extremely similar to um, the Harangan Mines. Um, these are the these are essentially psychic creatures or controllers that sit back deep in caves in their secret cities and use other species and animals as proxies to fight. Um, they are essentially spy masters, skin changers. They can invade dreams. They can view history. They are strategists. Um, they can contact the weirwoods. Seems very similar in terms of construction that George loves the idea of these like hive minded species with essentially like an elite super psychic class that essentially acts as controllers over all of, over all of them. Uh, so yeah, green seers, harangan minds seem to be similar in concept, um, but they are also extremely vulnerable. The green seers, um, when we see them in blood Raven's cave, they are essentially immobile. Um, they, the trees eventually grow through their limbs. They exist in these sort of weirwood cradles which is kind of strange. And um, they, I don't know if this is on purpose because of the timing, but in Dance with Dragons, it almost seems like the Weirwoods jack the Green Seers into the network, kind of like the Matrix with the plugs in the back of their neck. I don't know if he's doing that on purpose, if he likes the Matrix, but it seems kind of similar, especially with the way they lean back and the, and the way Blood Raven sits. Um, Yeah, literally one in a million. Green Seer is extraordinarily rare. Um, they also basically live forever. Um, as we've seen, Blood Raven is basically a corpse at this point. He's like 150 years old or something like that. The trees keep alive their physical bodies for as long as they want, essentially. And then, and then they go into the trees afterwards. Um, and they seem to be the controllers of the magic of the old gods of messaging with the other, with the ancient generations and that kind of thing. Um, 
All right, how many likes are we up to? 87? <gasps> Slam the like button, you guys. 150. Gonna put on that wizard hat. Um, 133 watching right now. Hey, everybody. Glad to be spending my Saturday with you. Um, but yeah, green seer is very important. They appear to be the upper crust of their society, the intellectuals, the wizards, the the magic users, um, basically like the the blood ravens of their society, uh, which makes a lot of sense that they ended up recruiting him because everything we see from him appears to be what they were doing, that they would use other species, um, that they would use the skin changers and the wood dancers to essentially defend themselves, to defend the weirwoods um, from everything else. The rest of the society appears to be essentially um, protecting the weirwoods and by extension, the green seers from attack. Um, and they are also responsible again for uh, weirwood worship. We got another quote here from Jojen. Imagine it's again, imagine it's poor Quentin saying this because that who's, that's who Jojen is. Um, a reader lives a thousand lives before he dies said Jojen. The man who reads the man who never reads lives only one. The singers of the forest had no books, no ink, no parchment, no written language. Instead, they had the trees and the weirwoods above all. When they died, they went into the wood, into leaf and limb and root. And the trees remembered all their songs and spells, their histories and prayers, everything they knew about this world. Maesters will tell you that the weirwoods are sacred to the old gods. The singers believe they are the old gods. When the singers die, they become part of that godhood. So it's not only just like they understand that the weirwoods are powerful and magical and there's something strange going on about them, but that it's also a form of ancestor worship that all green seers and maybe their entire species when they die, go into the tree and live in this, um, this hive minded kind of like, um, like a song from Leah with the Grishka sort of thing. Um, they are all one and that kind of thing. Uh, it's a, yeah, <laughs> it's a really good quote. Uh, is Jojen Jojen is, Weak from his green dreams, although not a green seer, is it like a congenital abnormality in humans uh, from Lady Rosalie Valarion? Essentially, what we're told is that if a green seer does not make their way into the weirwoods and gets connected, then they die pretty quickly. So it may be that Jojen is the example of that, that he's a green seer who um, never gets connected. And therefore, like the, the like we said, they, they don't last long in this world, that kind of thing. Uh, JT Soul says, are the children physically using select humans perfect the weirwoods or are the weird cycle using both the children and humans perfect to protect themselves? Both. I think both is happening. I think the weirwoods initially um, tr attracted the children and created sort of a, um, a parasitic relationship between themselves. And then later on, the children used the humans to do that when it became clear they couldn't do it themselves anymore, that they have been essentially recruiting humans to do their job. Um, also with weirwood worship, the laws of the first men and old gods and skin changers that we see from like, um, from Vermeer six skins, these are almost certainly passed down to the first men from the children. And they have some, they have some uh, holy spots that we see broken down in, um, in the story. So high heart, the Isle of faces, the three singers at a uh, high garden, Maybe the grove beyond the wall, wherever the demon tree was, there were quote unquote holy spots 
among the children, but they appear to have lost almost all of them. High Heart's been cut down. Three singers have been taken over by the First Men. Uh, the Isle of Faces is untouched, but the Night's Watch seem to have taken control of the growth beyond the wall. So that's kind of how it goes. <clears throat> and then we get to like what they aren't magical, but in what ways are they magical? <clears throat> and that's hard to say because we haven't really seen them do that much. Um, we've seen them do skin changing and second knives, which are basically the same thing. They have their green sight, which they use the weirwoods to see through time and space and whatever. Um, they can invade dreams. Um, and they have some kind of magical barrier that stops other magical things from coming in. Like Melisandre has to go under the walls of Storm's End. Um, the undead are kept out of Blood Raven's cave. There's something about the wall that keeps the others out as well. And that seems to be about it. The last one is this. Uh, communicating by raven but that's probably just skin changing that like when a green seer wanted to contact the wood dancers they would take control of a, a raven fly it to them and then talk uh, that's probably what that was yeah there's not much else there um if they have other magic we don't really know what it is there's hints of it there's other stories which we're going to get to um but that's that's kind of it <laughs> um And that way, their powers don't seem much different than Bran or Bloodraven. Um, maybe they have more practice with it, but that's 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 really kind of it. That's it's very strange. Um, but it kind of works in a way that George doesn't like his magic users to essentially be like wizards, where they're like casting spells left and right and calling down thunderbolts and all that other kind of stuff. Um, he likes their magic to have um, very limited applications. Essentially, all their powers can be explained by like psychics. That's essentially like a bunch of Professor X's from the X-Men. No Hadoukens. No Hadoukens among the children of the forest. Although there is in the show. They, th they threw that fireball thing. Don't really know what that was. That's not in the books. I don't not quite sure what that was. Um, a uh, question here from Twitter um, that I was just asking about, what I was talking about, is there any difference between green serial children with green eyes and the green serial children with red eyes? What's the significance of having two different colored eyes associated with green sight? So this, this is a strange one because we're told, um, I read that quote where it said that green seers are marked by having red eyes, AKA albinos or green eyes. Um, and that's the way you can tell when somebody's a green seer. But Bran has blue eyes and he's a green seer. Um, Blood Raven has his red eyes from being an albino, but um, Jojen has kind of greenish eyes and he seems to be a green seer. But then what's going on with Bran? Why are his blue eyes different? And then you have the others with their blue eyes. They seem to be have similar powers to the um, to the green seers themselves. So I think the purpose is that just that George really likes different colored eyes. Um, he thinks they're magical. He thinks they're cool. Like Valyrians have purple eyes because um, he was a quote unquote fan of um, of Elizabeth Taylor and she famously had purple eyes. That's what he was going for when he gave them it. Um, it's kind of like a fantasy trope where it's just like. You can tell somebody's power by their eye color. He pays a lot of attention to eye color. It's one of the ways that um, that they end up that people end up coming up with theories about hidden characters and identities. They compare eye color. Um, it's not really clear, 
Although there is a real world comparison in that um, albinos with their red eyes are very often seen as around the world magical in some way, but also kind of evil. It's bizarre. Um, it's basically just the idea that um, it, it's a way of saying they're outsiders. Everyone else, if like, imagine if everyone you saw, you, when you looked around had gold eyes and there's one guy with green eyes. Well, you think there's something different, maybe something special about him. I think that's kind of what's going at. Uh, but yeah, I don't really know. It's, it's brand seems to be the exception to the rule. A green seer with blue eyes. He does not have the stark gray eyes. He doesn't have the green eyes or the red eyes of the green seers. He has blue eyes, the blue eyes of death. And he's still a green seer. So it may be one of those things where it's just like a, um, a story over time that's not exactly true. But a good question. Um, again, I, I really just think it's George having fun with, um, with people having special colored eyes, which he's a fan of. I know in other stories, like in particular, um, Brandon Sanderson's um, Stormlight Archive, that a lot of... Um, that quite a lot of um, the characters in that have crazy colored eyes and that it's meant to indicate caste systems. Um, yeah, that's right. Rowan. That's what I was talking about. Albino children in Africa, high risk of being cannibalized. Exactly. Um, oh, there's a uh, PayPal here from uh, Moore Lee. Moore is on fire today. Uh, $45 on PayPal saying just a donation of thanks and appreciation from Moore. Thank you, Moore. That's super generous. I really appreciate it. Um, it's also kind of the thing that happens, um, in story with, um, with Tyrion where, um, dwarves also have a similar kind of thing. I don't know. It, it doesn't, it's unclear how much it means. I, I think George is just playing with that idea and that he likes cool eyes. Um, James Martin on Twitter. Um, he says, are the children united in their efforts or are there different factions with different agendas? Thank you, magic man. <laughs> um, we don't see enough of them to know if there are different factions or different agendas, but the way you, you think they would be um, kind of, they would differ greatly in what they would do um, because of their like tribal nature and how spread out they out they are, but they essentially have like a mental internet and they have the weirwoods. So I would guess that they tend to think in the same way all the time. Um, that there may not be as much of a, um, a difference between the children of the forest agendas or faction as you might expect, just because of the fact that they are all mentally linked in a weird way. But, you know, they are sentient beings, so there's probably is some kind of factions. We just don't know them. Um, I actually don't like Stormlight Archive. Um, I think it reads like a comic book and not in a good way. I'd rather like if they made Stormlight Archives as comic books, I would like them a lot more. Um, just didn't hold my interest. But I, I do remember quite vividly that eye color is a huge thing in that story. Um, are they like the Borg? No, they're not like the Borg in the sense that um, it seems that the green seers and the weirwoods are connected themselves, but maybe not all the wood dancers. Um, 
like the idea that they would send out ravens to communicate with each other implies that they can't just send mental messages at any time. Um, that would be my guess. Not a fan of Stormlight Archive. I tried it. I tried. I read the first book. It didn't, didn't do anything for me. Um, all right. So let's get to their history here. Let's let's talk about um, their relationships and to the first men and the Andalts, because this is this is the part we know the most about them from. Um, we got most of the their story of their history from the last hero myth from Old Nan. This is a long one. Here we go. <clears throat> I crack my neck. Um, now these were the days before the Andals came long before the women fled across the narrow sea from the cities of the Rhoyne and the hundred kingdoms of those times were the kingdoms of the first men who had taken these lands from the children of the forest Yet here and there in the fastness of the for- of the woods. The children still lived in their wooden cities and hollow hills and the faces in the trees kept watch. So as cold and death filled the earth, the last year determined to seek out the children in the hopes that their ancient magics could uh, win back what the armies of men had lost. He set out into the deadlands with a sword, a horse, a dog, and a dozen companions. For years he searched until he despaired of ever finding the children of the forest in their secret cities. One by one his friends died, and his horse, and finally even his dog, and his sword froze so hard the blade snapped when he tried to use it. The others smelled the hot blood in him and came silent on his trail, stalking him with packs of pale white spiders, Big as hounds. Yes. Got the ice spiders in there. Um, so that's the story of um, the Andal invasion and how the children of the forest reacted to it, which is essentially like, we want nothing to do with this. Or at least that's the story the first men tell. Um, so the first invasion came innumerable years ago. George says 10,000 years, 5,000 years. It, it, it's so far in the past that there's no way of knowing. Uh, all we know is that the first men came across the arm of Dorne before it was broken. Essos and Westeros were connected by a land bridge um, and they began invading the forest. At first, everything was cool. The children were like, all right, well, they're cutting down some trees, but like not doing anything like too bad. Um, but eventually tensions grew between the two, uh, the two species and the humans started cutting down weirwoods because they seemed to clue into the fact that the weirwoods were different and weird and magical, and they didn't like that. Um, so they started going in and cutting down the forest and the weirwoods in particular, and you get the original war between the humans and the uh, children that we know about. So there was thousands of years of battle. Uh, you know, that's that's probably a lot of hyperbole. Like it's it's said in the histories that like the Blackwoods and the Brackens have been at war for thousand years but then you look at the actual details and no there's there's quite a lot of spots of like peace between them so um that kind of thing uh we get a lot of stories from this time about uh what's called the age of heroes basically you get the originator of house stark brandon of the bloody blade um he's a son of garth greenhand from house gardener and brandon killed so many children at blue lake in the reach that they renamed it red lake and there's actually Red Lake's kind of really interesting because there's still some magic around Red Lake that goes to the current time. Like, for instance, uh, Silverwing, Alisane's dragon, after she died and off the white died, Silverwing did not go back to Dragonstone. It went to Red Lake and and stayed essentially on a little island there, which is strange. Don't really know what's going on there. Um, that's kind of a common theme 
that we see with like the Isle of Faces is that there are lakes with islands in the middle and they are somehow magical or connected to the children. Um, also, fun fact, I talked about this in the um, How Strong video, but the fact that Brandon the Bloody Blade, who founded House Stark, killed a bunch of people in the Reach, killed a bunch of children of the forest, tells us that there was a migration south to north with the Starks, that they started out in the Reach and went north. Huzzah. Um, Oh, good point, Amy. Um, she says not to mention the Blackwoods were in the north for a while. Original rivals were probably the Starks. Also, the Blackwoods were probably related to the Ward King who lived at in the Wolfswood and Sea Dragon Point. Um, a lot of weird stuff. We don't really have the details. There's not a lot in the in the world book or the or the uh, main story itself. But the basic story of the first man invasion is that they vastly outnumbered the children in not only in their like their numbers, but also their technology. Um, they were able to defeat them every time they actually went to war. The wood dancers were pretty much used to fighting like little skirmishes, had no chance against the first men in the open in the open field, as it were. Um, oh, another uh, Patreon. Or is this the same one? This is this might be the same one. Yeah, it's the same one. I don't know what that thing's doing. Uh, it's just going crazy. Uh, so it's very likely that the wood dancers initially and the skin changers initially tried to repel the first men and found themselves unable to do so. And then it was left to the green seers and the weirwoods who actually slowed the advance of the first men. Um, this is this is a, a plot point that George loves writing about. He's written into many other stories like this is what the Harangan mines did in the Thousand Worlds, where the initial um, shock troops essentially were defeated. It went up to the um, Harangan mines and the Gintianki soul sucks, I think they're called, to essentially mess with their brains. But you can you can see this super well in the story and seven times never kill man. Um, go read that story. If you want to know what it was like when the first man fought the children of the forest, Read and seven times never kill man. Um, it it is the closest we'll ever see to that that conflict. I talked about it last week at the Weirds, but essentially it's a an alien woodland species that um, essentially held these weird pyramid things as their as their gods. The humans destroyed a few of them. Um, they overpowered the Jane Shi, the little woodland creatures, and then what happened was they used their psychic powers through the pyramids in order to um, get the humans to start worshiping the pyramids and ended the war by getting them to kill themselves, basically. And that's probably exactly what happened with the first men and the, um, and the children of the forest. They could not compete physically, so they went to their psychic powers. They messed with their dreams. They implanted ideas in them. Um, they spied on them. All the things we see from the Jane Shi in, um, and Seven Times Never Kill Man. So... Go read that one, um, especially since we'll never be getting it doesn't look like we'll be getting Blood Moon um, where they were going to go into that conflict. But so, yeah. You know, it's a, it's a, George is quite the nerd himself, um, his own character in. What is it? Um, Wild Cards is a psychic character called the Great and Powerful Turtle. He really loves the idea of those who are smarter with mental powers overwhelming those who are stronger than them physically, probably probably because he got bullied as a kid. So, yeah, he loves that plot line. <laughs> he writes it all the time. Um, 
that's that's probably how the conflict went as an overall story. Then, of course, there's the Hammer of Waters. This is nobody knows what this is. Hammer of Waters is mentioned twice. Essentially, some kind of magic from the children of the forest or claimed to be from the children of the forest where essentially they were able to shatter the arm of Dorn into the stepstones as we know them. And then they also tried to break the neck, separating the north from the rest of the Westeros. But that one, for some reason, failed and instead it turned into Marsh. Um, now, the stories of how they cast the Hammer of Waters are very strange. Um, some say that it came from the Child's Tower at Moat Kaelin, some from um, the Isle of Faces. And also how they did it is really all over the place. Some stories are essentially that they captured a whole bunch of humans and mass sacrificed them. Other ones say they sacrificed themselves, a whole bunch of the elders. And then even more, and then there's a much more grim one that says the children of the forest took their own children and killed them all to give a mass sacrifice to the weirwoods, which somehow created the hammer of waters, whatever that is. Um, the problem with this is what we've seen from them in no way seems like it should have the ability to like cause cataclysmic destruction to the land. Like they can just sort of see into dreams and, and, and like take over animals and see into the past and communicate with the long dead none of that's like earth magic or anything like that it's nothing like from avatar the last airbender um where like kiyoshi spreads an island away from the mainland there's nothing like that um when you look at what it's talking about the most likely uh culprit is probably an earthquake um there is the weird detail that i let off with that um they are called those who sing to the earth well, if they sink to the earth, does that mean maybe they can cause earthquakes or like eruptions or something like that? Because when you look at the Valyrians, they had some sort of control over um, volcanoes, which means they had power over magma. It said that the, the fire mages of Valyria held back the eruptions of the of the volcanoes of Valyria. So maybe there's some way of using blood magic to control earth. And if they can do that, maybe that's the explanation for how the children did this. They essentially like um, cause a super violent earthquake. Uh, that would be my guess. Um, <laughs> no moon meteors. Oh, that guy's crazy. Um, my favorite tinfoil about it, though, is um, weirwood roots. I like this one. This one's fun that we know that weirwood roots can burrow straight through stone. Um, which most roots cannot. They go around it. They seek soft soil. Weirwoods go right through them. So it'd be interesting if like the the children fed the weirwoods a whole bunch of blood. Like we know that um that that's how they grow. And then like maybe using their powers or something, got the roots to grow through the arm of Dorn and essentially smash it or got them to move or something like that. Um I don't who knows if George even knows, but earthquakes seem to be the way that you would do it. Um And that, that seems to be like the high point of their magical power, whatever the, the hammer of waters is, no real clear idea. Um, and of course, we get the pact between the first men and the children of the forest. This was signed, signed in whatever way they were uh, on the Isle of Faces. Uh, we talked about this earlier, that it's after the pact was signed that the children went and carved the faces into the weirwoods. Um, so quite possibly that 
the weirwoods didn't used to have faces and they were given them later as a way to spy on the humans um the pact essentially goes like this where the children retain the standing forest and uh and the deep forest and the first men got basically everything else they got the open lands the coastland the plains the meadows the mountains the bogs um and most importantly they they agreed to stop cutting down any weirwoods that was the most important thing for the children they kept the forests and they kept the weirwoods um but this is the part where and seven times never kill come um kill man comes in it's after this that the humans start worshiping the weirwoods they're not just tolerating them they're just they're they're actively engaging in old god worship and they had their own gods they brought them with them we don't know what they are they're long gone but the first men basically across the board all converted to old god religion the weirwood religion um this is a thing that happens in that story. So again, go back and read that story. If you want to see basically a brief version of first man versus children of the forest history. Um, it's also after this, we start getting stories about uh, brand, the builder and the children in the forest who are going around building things for, for the first men. Um, we hear that brand, the builder built the wall storms End, high tower and Winterfell, but there are, other legends that say that the children of the forest built those things. And it's also noted in a lot of these stories that brand, the builder was a child himself. Like the story goes, Oh, a child showed up and a child human showed up and he built all these things. Well, it would make a lot more sense if brand, the builder was actually a child of the forest or like a hybrid of the two. And, um, because we know that a lot of these places have similar, um, functionality to blood raven's cave so it may have been that as part of the pack the children went around and basically like installed their own magical defenses uh for the humans against the east that would be my guess like the fact that brand the builder built like i mean he's a mythical figure and he built all these amazing things it would make a lot more sense if it was actually just like a child of the forest running around doing it um Just kind of kind of my thought on that. Um, it seems to line up so well that he would be a child of the forest or at least like the first child of the forest human hybrid thing. Um, let's see here. Yeah, elves on the shelves, elves in the trees. That's basically what they were. Um, contractor hires a child honestly well you hire a child if you know that he's a member of a mythical race that does things you can't even imagine that would um that would be why you would hire him and we know that there's a lot of stories of those particular regions so uh storms End built in the stormlands there's the rainwood um which was or is still a children of the forest um city place um also, the high towers built in the Reach, which is the traditional home of the gardeners. And we know that the gardeners and Garth Greenhand and all of his children have a lot of connection with the children of the forest. So that would make quite a lot of sense, too. Um, is the possibility of children human hybrids confirmed? Strongly implied. They're strongly implied. Um, I was going to get to this later, but it's probably a good time now. The Cranog men, um, they definitely seem to be. George is hinting at that they may be a hybrid species of some kind. Um, they are slight 
They are a lot smaller than the rest of the human population. They seem to have a high incidence of green seers. Um, they are in an area where the children were known to be. Uh, they have green eyes, like Jojen has his green eyes. Um, and the way I think the most telling thing about them, other than like their diminutive diminutive stature, is that all the rest of the humans know there's something different about the Cranog men. That they're a bunch of um, that they are strange. That they they get bullied a lot. We hear them about um, Howlin' reading when he shows up at the uh, tourney at Heron Hall. That they seem to recognize that they are not they're different in some way it would make it would make a lot of sense if that was taken with the other parts of their um society and um kind of their connections that perhaps they are um a population that long ago mixed with the children of the forest um oh uh, here's one from uh patreon uh, Miss Loaf, one of my new patrons, asked, I have a question for the children of the forest stream. Why do you think the children are able to convert the first men to the old gods and establish peace, but are unable to do so with the Andals? I think this is next up, but I do think that part of the reason is that um, that the Andals came with a much more, I guess, advanced society and understand culture, where the first men kind of just like they seem to be all over the place. Like they seem to be like a bunch of different small tribes, but the Andals seem to invade almost as like a holy war. And they, they not only did they um, fight the children of the forest and the first men, but they, they were going after uh, the weirwoods in big numbers. Um, so I'm guessing George was taking sort of taking it in the idea of like the crusades that the Andals were like the crusaders and the, um, the first men and the children of the forest were like, the natives of the Holy Land, basically. Hey, Amanda. Uh, we talked about um, Shay the Evening Trees already. Uh, about to talk about the Andal invasion, a thing I know you love quite a, quite a lot. Um, that'll be my guess, that, um, that the Andals had much more of a, um, a cultural identity that made them less willing to compromise and also yeah also they had uh they had better weapons too as sarah or sasuke says um they were able to win much more effectively um are there any other patient questions that have to do with those uh, oh so these the rest of these are for okay that will be at the end all right so that's the end of the first man invasion. They end up making up. Um, they they sign their pact. They go their separate ways. The humans um, base. Oh, we're only tw uh, 19 likes away from putting on a wizard hat. I know I have a good hair day going. I'm going to be very vain for a second, uh, but slam that like button, get to 150. I'll put on my wizard hat for the rest of the stream. Um, so the Andals, or as I titled it, in my outline Whoops, the Andals. Uh, they invaded from Andalus, which is in northern Essos, just south of Bravos. Um, they came in boats, which tells us again that there was a drastic jump forward in technology between the first man invasion and the Andal invasion. The first man walked to Westeros. The Andals sailed. 
Oh, uh, thank you for the super sticker, Hannah Boyd. Two dollars. Uh, no, Australian dollars. Ooh, thank you. Appreciate it. Um, they also apparently had iron weapons, which were much more, which were superior to the bronze weapons of the first men. Uh, we see that in the flashback of Bran when he sees the um, the bronze sickle being used to uh, to cut the throat of the captive. Um, they also had farming. That was a big thing. They also had chivalry. They had knights. Um, and they also had the faith of the seven, which is an important tool against uh, the first men. Uh, it, it really bound their society. And it was also that they were, they were apparently desperate. They were driven out of Andalus by the Valyrians. They were running from dragon fire. So they had nowhere to go back to. They had to go west and find a place to live or they were done. They were going to be wiped out. Um, and you sort of see that with how how hard their invasion basically went. Um, they were going to keep fighting until they killed and drove the first men and the children out of out of Westeros. They also saw the weirwoods not not only as like a weird spying thing, but specifically evil. They thought they were like satanic or whatever. Um, and after they start invading and they start doing really well, particularly in the Vale, uh, what we know as the Crownlands. The Riverlands, we hear the story that the First Men Kings, specifically from um, the Durandans and the Gardeners, sought out the children of the forest for help, which goes against Old Nan's story that the um, the last hero could not find the children. They were nowhere to be found. Apparently, the Gardeners and the and the Durandans knew exactly where to find them. Um, they create what is called the Weirwood Alliance. Uh, we hear about the Alliance uh, fighting, particularly at High Heart, um, where they try to deny Eric the Kinslayer and all king from chopping down High Heart. They sent every uh, all their warriors. They sent skin changers, all their animals ended up losing. Um, High Heart gets chopped down. So kind of what we're hearing here is that the first man, the children realized that they were in a lot of trouble. They were losing everything, especially after the loss of high heart, which was apparently a big deal for the children and that they, um, they overthrew the muds. Um, they dislodged the bronze Kings, the Royces. Uh, they were, they were doing really well. Um, so the veil, the crown lands, as we know them today, uh, they took over parts of the reach. They definitely took over the Riverlands. Um, but they were largely repelled in a few key areas. So in Dorne, there's not much hint that the Andals did much there. But then again, almost nobody can invade Dorne successfully. So way to go, uh, deserts of Dorne. Uh, the North completely repelled the Andals. They never even made it past most Caelan, uh, Theon the Hungry Wolf, the King of, uh, King of Winter, um, threw the Andals back into the sea, then went to Andalos and sacked their cities and their towns. Um, there's a really gruesome story that he took a bunch of heads and put them on the um, on the beach, pointing back at Andalos as a warning to not come again. Spoiler alert. They did not listen. Um, the Westerlands um, seem to be partially OK, um, like the Lannisters are first men and so are most of their vassals. They seem to have done OK, uh, hiding out in the rock and that kind of thing. But um, something happens where. The Andals are doing really, really good. They're killing everybody. And all of a sudden they stop. They're done. They don't go anywhere. 
they stop their invasions and all of a sudden they start marrying um the first men they start making alliances they start doing uh, marriage alliances like i was saying um and they stop conquering and it's kind of like what the hell happened why did the andals who were winning stop um I think you guys probably know where we're going with this. Um, this is probably where we see the creation of the others by the children of the forest. Um, the show outright tells us that the children of the forest made the others. Uh, we have that scene with um, the night King being created by the obsidian being shoved into his chest. The hints are all over the books that, um, that, um, that the, the children of the forest created the others um, and that they are kind of not happy about it, that they kind of regret doing it. Um, yeah, the Lannisters are first men. They are they are super, super ancient. Uh, but uh, D-Cell makes a good point. Matrimonial marriage converting a Leiden Andal male to Lannister. Yeah, um, after the Andal invasion, they all started intermarrying anyway. So everyone south of the neck is basically part Andal, part first man. There's like no difference anymore. The North is largely um, untouched though. There's that whole thing where Catelyn talks about where she goes through the marriages of the Starks outside the North and they're almost always the first men houses. Um, there seems to be some kind of blood purity with the Starks, kind of like the Valyrians. Um, oh, good call. Yeah, the Martells are Andals. Missed that one. So I guess they did do pretty well in Dorn. Whoops. Um, Swing and a miss on that one. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the uh, the children of the forest made the others. Um, he, Leaf explains it to Bran, which is a scene we're probably going to get in the Winds of Winter, where Bran sees the creation of the others and says, "Like what the hell? Why did you make these things?" And Leaf says, "Well, fear of you." And we know from the first man invasion that you know that ended. It went on for a long time, but it wasn't like. It wasn't like a thing where the first men were about to wipe out the children. They were largely a stalemate. And then they essentially said, like, all right, all right, enough. Uh, we'll, we'll, we're done here. But the Andals were making amazing strides. They were it looked like they were going to take out everybody. Um, so I'm guessing that it's during the Andal invasion that the the others were created and that um it was the threat of the others that got the first men and the Andals to stop fighting, that they had to essentially ally with each other and fight the others. And that was essentially what was the impotence, the impotence. No, that's the wrong word. That was essentially the um, the action that got them to end their crusade. That they recognize that although they are different cultures, that they are both human, they're going to be wiped out by the other. So it's like. And that goes with uh, all the idea of the intermarriage and the, the stopping of hostilities. It's like, yeah, fighting something like the others would probably do that. Um, and it would make sense from the children of the forest, because if they made the others and then one way or another, they were going to wipe out the humans or they were going to get them to unite and stop fighting, which is what they wanted anyway. The rear would stop getting cut down. Uh, the first men and Andals uh, reach a religious tolerance. And you get to the modern society, which seems to be forged in the aftermath of the other invasion. Um, I know that there are there are ideas that um, it was during the first man invasion 
Um, there are hints to that, but the story of the the timeline and the and what we see from the show seems to point that way. Although I know people don't like using the show as canon, it seems like they largely just uh, they just summarize what George told them. Oh, super chat here from JT Soul. Uh, why do you think the Aaron's tried to grow weirwood in the eerie when they're the purest animals in Westeros? They even have a weirwood throne. Odd. I talked about that in the last stream. Very strange. Um, in one on one hand, it could just be like a dominance thing that they are so andal that they essentially decided to use the um, the holy things of their defeated enemies as their own in order to embarrass them. Um, but it could also be that they were taken in by the weirwoods. Um, that is definitely that's a thing we saw with the first men after fighting the children of the forest. There's no reason to think that over time the andals wouldn't maybe have done the same thing. Uh, that would be my guess that it's some part of embarrassment, but also kind of wanting to essentially. Well, it's also hard to rule over people that um, it, it's, a, it's a little easier when you look at like Aegon the Conqueror, when the Valyrians had their own religion, but he converted to the faith of the seven in order and like culturally joined Westeros in order to um, over time, make the Targaryens more acceptable to the population. It may have been something like that with the veil. We know there are still first man worshippers there, especially in the uh, mountains of the moon, but you never know. Um, cultural appropriators. There you go. Oh, yeah, we're pretty close to the hat. 139 likes. So slam that like button if you would, you guys really appreciate it. Um, and it also make a lot of sense if if you think about the way that the weirwoods use the children to protect themselves against the first men, if the children then use the first men to protect themselves against the Andals, that like that pattern of behavior makes a lot of sense from George, his other stories, what we were seeing in this one, um, that the others were like an engineered disaster that one way or another was going to end the um, the advance of the Andals. Um. There's also like a few more hints, um, like, for instance, Leaf warns Bran about calling the dead back to life. Well, that's a weird thing for a child of the forest to say, like, what's the problem with returning the dead to life? Well, if they made the others, well, that makes quite a lot of sense that they'd be like, "Ooh, yeah, that was a mistake. We probably shouldn't have done that one. Calling the dead back to life using our powers really backfires quite a lot. Um Yeah, that'll be my guess. I go for Andal Invasion. Yeah, that's when the others were created. Um, not for certain, though. George write this stuff, writes this stuff extremely vague, and it's self-contradictory, and there's different stories, and none of it lines up, and like trying to find the truth between them is almost like, an ex it's all, it's almost like trying to write fan fiction because it's so vague, and everything contradicts with itself. So, you know, that's my guess, though. Best I can do. <laughs> um, oh, you guys are talking about the first king. Oh, good thing Amanda's here. She's going to jump all over that one. Um, 
uh, question here from Patreon. Uh, Ramona says, I get why the Children of the Forest might dislike the First Men and especially the Andals, as we were just talking about. But why is it they are so mean with the hard, with the strong, hardworking giants and the other race we uh, hardly know about the Deep Ones? Um, well, it is kind of weird that the Westeros basically had no other native species except for the giants um, by the time the First Men arrived. Um, so... It's it's not like the children of the forest were actually hobbits just sitting at Hobbiton and just having a good time and going to the bar and drinking and farming and all that other kind of stuff like they are warriors. They are. They know how to fight. They have their psychic powers. They have their skin changers. Um, they do defend their forests. So a big like a big destructive species like the giants, you can imagine why they'd be unhappy about that. Stories of the deep ones have them kidnapping children all the time like maybe it's literal children maybe it's actually the children of the forest that used to kidnap um that kind of thing you know it's i I don't think it's that strange that they would want to fight them they seem to be fully on board with fighting uh different invasions and making sure that the uh weirwoods and their forests are super super secure um Oh, yeah. Um, Diesel brings up the thing about the 13th Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. It'd be weird if the if. Um, the, the, the whole history of the Night's Watch doesn't make any sense. So. I can be the 13th Lord Commander and make the others if the Night's Watch already existed, blah, blah, blah. It's 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 all weird. It's all strange. Also, the others may have come multiple times um, anyway. Yeah. Politics don't be getting in with men, says Jay Moray. I agree with that. Um, so we're talking about the hammer of waters and how they were sacrificing their children. Uh, Ramona also asks, am I right to see a parallel in the children of the forest sacrificing their young and Howland Reed sending his son to die for Brandon Stark? I don't know if Howland Reed sent Jojen to die for Brandon, but children of the forest definitely were all about blood sacrifice. Um, we know that from first man culture, from their practices, that blood sacrifice to the weirwoods was a huge part of it. Um, and it's especially it's one of those things where blood sacrifice seems so horrific and awful because like, you know, the person is dying, but the children of the forest don't really die. They go into the trees afterwards. So like killing them, killing their bodies for a blood sacrifice isn't as bad as it would be because they have like a weirwood afterlife. So, um, I wonder if it's one of those things where the first men kept doing the blood sacrifice and ended up being like, Oh wow, this really sucks. We're we have to capture and kill somebody of the children. It may have been like for them, um, kind of like the uh the Grishka in a song for Leah, where after a certain point they just went into the trees and it was like a ritual suicide kind of thing. Um, because what does it matter? They're going into the trees anyway. It's not like they're actually dying. Their consciousnesses will live on within the trees. Um But all mag- almost all magic in George's world seems to function also on blood magic. So, yeah, there's there's a predilection within the um, first men culture to sacrifice things. They seem to love it. Yeah, guilty under here. Exactly. We're not killing you, helping send you, to, uh, helping you ascend to a higher plane. Or I was talking about within. Um, um, oh, God, what is it? Orson Scott Card's uh, Ender's Game series, spoilers for the later books. There's 
There's an idea with the alien species, the Pequinos, who when they reach a certain age, they are sacrificed and planted to become trees, but they never they don't actually die. Their consciousness survives the transition. George and Orson are friends or they were. I don't know if they are anymore. They used to be in the past. So um, it's one of those things where. That's actually a major plot point of that series as it goes on, that when the when the Pequinos first are discovered sacrificing their own, the humans freak out until one of the biologists realizes, oh, oh, this is fine. <laughs> like, this is just like a natural transition of their life. It's not actually like a horrific thing they're doing. Um, Ender's Game is good. The later books get weird and very strange. And Orson Scott Card has a bizarre take on that world. Yeah, he he is a dick. Um, the books when they're on Earth are the better ones of the Ender's Game series. The later ones are just like, what the hell are you doing, Orson? Uh, let's see here. Any other patron questions I can do right now? Um, nope, we'll get to that one as we go on. <laughs> um, so then we get to kind of the current times. So we get to what, what are they doing now? What's going on with the children of the forest now? Uh, we get this quote from Leaf. She's talking to Bran. Um, the Dance with Dragons brand chapters are extremely heavy on the children of the forest and explaining a lot of the mystery. So I would expect Bran's going to be our look into it as uh, Winds of Winter comes out, either using his powers or Leaf and Bloodraven telling him um, what's happening. Um, this is what Leaf says. Gone down into the earth, she answered, into the stones, into the trees. Before the first men came, all this land that you call Westeros was home to us. Yet even in those days, we were few. The gods gave us long lives, but not great numbers, lest we overrun the world as deer will overrun a wood where there are no wolves to hunt them. That was in the dawn of days when our sun was rising. Now it sinks, and this is our long dwindling. The giants are almost gone as well. They who were our bane and our brothers. That's one of the weird things that they call them their bane and their brothers. Anyway, the great lions of the Western Hills have been slain. The unicorns are all but gone. The mammoths down to a few hundred. The dire wolves will outlast us all, but their time will come as well. In the world that men have made, there's new, no room for them or us. Uh, so what we get from that quote is that obviously the children understand that they are dying out as a species and there's nothing they can do. It appears that the and all invasion was sort of their death now. Um, almost all their settlements south of the neck appear, I mean, south of the wall appear to have been cleared out. There's no children we've seen in Rainwood, none under High Heart. There's none we see. Well, unless you count the ghost of High Heart, I don't even know if she is a child of the forest. Maybe who knows? Um, Maybe some on the Isle of Faces, but all their other strongholds are gone. Um, the Weirwoods have largely been cut down south of the Neck. Um, the caves are empty. Um, so that's kind of a bummer. The only place we really see them is obviously in Blood Raven's Cave. Uh, and even there, we don't even really see that many. Um, and they seem to they seem to just sort of understand this that they've been holding on as long as they could and there's nothing else they can really do uh they don't have the numbers they don't have the technology um their best shot 
as they seem to understand it, is to live on through the Weirwoods and that they're going to use the children are going to join the Weirwoods and then use the humans essentially as their shield, uh, which is basically the relationship that we see now where the Starks, if you tried to cut down the Starks Weirwood, they would go nuts. They would they would throw everything they had at you. And they don't even really understand what it is. They don't really understand that it is full of the children of the forest, that um, the old gods are the children seeing through it. So they've essentially set up this uh, religion and culture where they don't have to defend themselves anymore. The humans are doing it for them. And it's not even clear that they are able to join the trees themselves. Maybe just the green seers through blood, Raven and Bran. Um, and they have largely turned over the Weirwood Network and its powers to the humans. Uh, obviously, we see through Bloodraven. And then uh, we're seeing Bran being trained as almost his successor, I guess. Uh, we see just, like I said, we only see a couple of children or several children of the forest. Uh, when Bran is exploring the caves beneath, he sees a few of them um, in their Weirwood cradles doing, it's not... I don't even I don't even know what they're doing down there. I mean, I guess they're using green sight, but are like going through the past. It doesn't seem like they're impacting the, the current times. And unlike Blood Raven, they seem it's al it almost when they see Brand, they are so far gone that it, I don't even know if they realize he's there. It almost seems like a bunch of guys on a drug trip or something like that, where it's just like. Minds scrambled by acid or I guess in this case, green sight in the weirwoods. Um, oh, Lady Rosalie Valarion says, are there children of the forest on Skagos? I mean, there could be. Um, they're, they're not being seen. But as we talked about earlier, um, part of the thing is nobody knows what they look like anymore. So they very well could be walking around. Leaf actually claims that she's talking to Bran and she says that she walked among the humans for hundreds of years and nobody noticed her. But when we look at her description, she only has four fingers and they have claws on them and she has her weird slit golden eyes and she has her like um, her dappled skin. And um, somehow the children are able to essentially just walk around unnoticed among the humans. Maybe I'm guessing she never walked in like King's Landing or anything like that, but, you know, maybe walked around the villages, um, saw the different holy places. There may be something like that. The children are so good at staying hidden and staying away from the humans at this point that they could get away with it. Um, I don't even I don't know if the ghost of high heart is a children of the forest. I've said that in the past, but the more you look at like what leaf looks like and what um, the ghost of high heart looks like, it's hard to say because um, the ghost of high heart. I mean, she's an albino, but she doesn't have her slit eyes, the slit eyes of the children of the forest. She doesn't have four fingers with claws on them. So um not not quite sure. Um one place that they definitely could be is under the Isle of Faces. Um it's been said for quite a long time in the legends that there are these quote unquote green men or the order of green men um that live under um live on the Isle of Faces in the middle of the uh, God's Eye next to Heron Hall. Oh, hat time. All right. There we go. Hat engaged. Um, uh, Hy Hypatia, Hypatia Raven. I'm not going to pronounce all that. Uh, what about the caves in Dorne? 
It doesn't seem like the children ever really liked Dorn. Uh, they apparently had a name for it that it was like the Badlands or something like that. They seem to like uh, woods and stuff like that. So I would guess. No, I would guess that, they're, that they are not in the caves of Dorn, but maybe in the long past when Dorn was not a, a weird desert thing, that could definitely be true. There you go, guys. The reward for you slamming that like button. You got to got to see the hat. There we go. Um, the thing about the Isle of Faces in the God's Eye Lake is that if you think about it, the God's Eye Lake itself is incredibly deep, but then it also has an island in the middle. So it essentially means that the lake goes all the way down and then right in the middle, there's this there's something coming all the way up through it. Now that kind of looks like a um, volcanic crater. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever been to like Crater Lake in Oregon, I think it is. Um, but it's it's a fairly common thing that when a massive volcano explodes, it leaves behind a large crater with essentially um, magma that over time builds up in the middle. Or if it uh, if it blew the top off, then um, then often to, that just what remains is the crater with the center thing. So the Isle of Faces, knowing that the children are the singers of the earth, may be a remnant of that. Maybe there was an ancient volcano there. Um, but either either way, what what you can tell about the geography of the area is that underneath the Isle of Faces, there must be a giant amount of um, of land underneath it to stick up through the God's Eye Lake. So that to me sounds exactly like a children of the forest city. Um, like imagine if the Cashley rock itself was in the middle of a lake, it may be something like that. And only the part that comes up through the top is what we see. Uh, Bryson Chung says maybe the part of the cost of the Hammer Waters was the desertification of Dorn. Yeah, very possibly that um, they destroyed Dorn itself to destroy the um, to destroy the uh, the land bridge. Whoops, it didn't work anyway. Yeah, a caldera. That's right. Um, extremely explosive volcanoes sometimes destroy themselves. So. Um, yeah, the God's Eye Lake could very well be like that, um, especially with how deep it is. That's very unusual to see such a deep lake um, like that. Usually volcanic in origin, but there are some in like um, some extraordinarily deep lakes that come from glaciers and that kind of thing. Watery tarts. It, it would make a lot of sense, though, if the Order of the Greenmen was actually just a bunch of children of the forest that live under the God's Eye, that live in the um, in the Isle of Faces underneath it. Like, that's what we see them do everywhere else. They live in these cave structures underground. They just have, like, weirwoods poking up above ground, and there's, like, a few guards, and essentially that are, like, the wood dancers that live up there. It sounds exactly like the rest of their society. Um, yeah, Crater Lake, exactly. <laughs> Uh, video game vision quest is a possible reproduction with children in the forest happens during possession the same way as in pride that the Mormon ladies get impregnant while inhabiting bears. So this is an unfortunate part of George's other work where he likes the idea that psychics can change the genome of, of a child like at will or almost like, accidentally 
like this is a big part of the story guardians um the mud pots they essentially use their psychic powers to manipulate the genetics of the other creatures around them in order to create and make them better at repelling the uh the attacks from the humans so yikes very possible that's what happened with how you end up with a children of the forest and a human hybrid uh, i talked about that in my um my theory deus ex lupo talking about maybe that um ghost is a is a skin changer himself and maybe he got that way because a skin changer was inhabiting a wolf and that has to go with the um the idea that skin changers should not that's one of the um the things that Jeremy Sixkins gets told, he essentially gets told, like, don't have sex while skin changing. It's like, why not? Well, using George's other works, it may be that if you skin change something while having, and then have the thing have sex, like maybe your genetics will somehow get passed on rather than the animals. It's weird. I don't like it, but George wrote it into his other books. I wouldn't, if I were writing a book, I would not put that in there, to be honest. Um, oh, $25 from Morley. Thank you again, Morley. You, uh, feeling very generous today. <laughs> I know that folks have used weirwoods, use the wood from weirwood trees to make furniture, thrones, and doors. Other than the drink, did the folks do the same with the shade of the evening trees? I would not be shocked at all to find out that the, um, the wood, uh, within the, um, the house of the undying is made from, shave the evening trees or weirwood trees. There's a weird moment when Danny goes into the heart chamber in the house of the undying when Drogon, for some reason goes up and starts gnawing on the wood of the doorway. Now it could be because Drogon and Danny are high as balls. Like <laughs> go back and read that one. They are high as balls, but it could be that maybe Drogon is sensing like the lingering spirits of the, of the shave the evening trees or the weirwood trees because of the fact that their minds are open at the moment and realizes that like, Oh shit, this wood is dangerous. And he starts trying to attack it. Um, yeah. Uh, there's also the idea that Ebony is maybe the shaded evening tree that it's um, misidentified basically, but there's so few of them that maybe it, that's why it's precious. Uh, I didn't get Amanda. Amanda still thinks the order of the green men were humans. Um, I don't know how humans would be living there, to be honest. Um, makes a lot more sense for children of the forest to be uh, staying there in their holy place. Maybe some humans go there sometimes like you see with um, with Howell and Reed. But I would guess if there's a native population on the Isle of Faces that they are the children that like it's the last colony south of the neck. Yeah, really go back and read the, the house, the end dying thing. Drogon just like sees a, sees the wood on the door and goes like, oh, I got to attack it and just starts like attacking and clawing and biting at it. It's super weird. It would make a lot more sense if it's like he sensed the psychic emanations of whatever's still in the wood. Oh, are you guys talking about genetic manipulation? Yeah, CRISPR. George loves the idea of psychics using genetic manipulation. Um, Aaron says, I wonder if they make the drink from shady eating trees. They're less apt to cut them down. Well, you can, you don't have to cut down a tree to get the sap from them. Like, um, 
you don't cut down maple trees. You uh you tap them and then you get the you get the syrup from them. So it could be a similar kind of thing. Um okay. Well, everything around Karth is a desert at this point, so I'm guessing those shady evening trees or ebony trees, if that's what they really are, uh, are the last ones there. Um, I already talked about the hybrids. Yeah, that seems true. Uh, so I've got some questions here from Eric Forig. Um, so the last part we're going to get into is like, what are they doing now? Like, wh what are they really doing? Leaf seems to lay out that the children have essentially given up. Um, but it, Blood Raven and Brand haven't, and Leaf still hasn't, and there's still a few Green Seers. So Eric asks, um, essentially about the end game of this. Where is this going? Talking about King Brand, the rise of the Weirwood King, that kind of thing. Um, so he asks, what do you think will be the book version of the others breaching a cave and wiping out the children? Blood Raven. I mean, that's gonna be hold the door. Um, that. Uh, I don't really know. It's it's confusing the way the show did it. And the whole thing about Bran being marked by the Night King grabbing his arm in a vision, that is so high fantasy and weird that I question whether Dan and Dave made it up. You know, um, when that kind of stuff shows up, I give a side eye because there's all sorts of quotes that they didn't want to put in almost any fantasy, but they wanted to clamp it down as much as they could. And that is such just like a weird thing. Um, to come out of their minds it's so not what they think about it's so not what their imagination works like that i wonder if i don't know if they got that from george um but i imagine it will be largely the same that the others will find some way to breach the barrier around blood raven's cave um maybe not the same mechanic with the, the grabbing thing i don't even know what that was um the mark on him but yeah, they're probably just going to storm it, um, wipe out the remaining children. That may be the last children in existence if there's not a population under the uh, Isle of Faces. And then maybe their extinction. Um, and then the hold the door will probably happen at the end. Kind of a bummer. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then the sign meant almost nothing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a weird thing to make up and then not use, which tends to happen when George told them something fantasy-ish and then didn't know, and then didn't know what to do with it. That's kind of their MO. Um let's see here. Oh, and the um actually going into Eric's other question, he asks if the children in the far north are wiped out, will any in the stories survive on the Isle of Faces? That seems to be the only possible place for more children of the forest. Um, it has all the markers of something that seems like it's probably where they still live, like the cloud of ravens that attack whenever somebody gets too close, the winds that blow people off course, the stories of the weird green men that stay on the island all the time. The fact that it's like this giant structure coming up from the bottom of the God's eye, um, the weirwoods on top, the idea that, Weird groves are like their holy places. I mean, if there's any left, that's my guess. Um, but I would I would bet that the Leafs quote is meant as foreshadowing that the that those are perhaps the last ones, that that will be the end of the children of the forest 
at least in Westeros. But like we talked about earlier, um, the kingdom of Ephoquevron still apparently has some kind of children of the forest running around the woods walkers. Uh, there may be some down in E.T. in the jungles. Um, so. And, you know, they're not really going to be gone anyway. They're going to be in the trees, trees forever. Oh, interesting. Still think that the door with Hodor will hold is the Black Gate. Um, it's not really a door there to hold. It just kind of opens. Just opens its mouth and you walk through. Um, yeah, Hodor seems, Hodor seems destined to die. Um, holding the door for Bran to escape from uh, the others attacking and finally breaking through. Because they have to. They have to at some point. They're apparently being held back by barriers for the story to progress. They have to find a way through. So I would, that's what I would say. Um, let's see here. Is Euron going to grab his arm? God, I hope not. Euron touches you. You're screwed. That guy is a freaking nightmare. Um, let me scroll up. Oh, interesting uh, point here from Dornish Dame. If the pact was a peace between humans and children of the forest, maybe they're both there, representatives from both sides, making sure the pact and peace is upheld. That would be interesting. So maybe there is a native child of the forest population, but then maybe um, so every maybe there's like one or two humans that lives there with them, like a green seer or something like that. Like perhaps, actually, that'd be kind of interesting. <laughs> Blood Raven was supposed to go to the Isle of Faces. But uh, instead went north of the wall to that cave. Um, hmm. I know there have been ideas before that Bran will establish his new throne when he ends up becoming king from um, the Isle of Faces or Hall or something like that. But George has said it's going to show up in some way. And where he keeps hinting that at some point the humans are going to go ask for help. Like, um, I think Adam Valarion went there during Fire and Blood. Uh, we know about the Weirwood Alliance. It seems like that would be the best spot. <laughs> I don't know if this is a compliment, but this seems to describe a lot of my content uh, from Raiders of the Grey Waste. No canon reference, but realistically possible within the confines of the story. That's a rental wrap quality tinfoil. The line between tinfoil and uh, and theories and fan fiction is very narrow. A lot of it is just creative thinking. Uh, it's just how much you want it to fit to the story or how much you want to tell a good story of your own. Um, ah, Amanda's still talking about the, <laughs> the shade of the evening. You guys got her going. God help her. She will not. She will talk forever about that if you let her actually to do that anyway um <laughs> uh john could go to the isle of faces if he has to be the last hero to find danny he could be sent there by brand that would be interesting um john is the last hero instead of brand hmm uh jt soul says if the wall has magic that the others can't pass through how did the knight's queen live inside it at the knight's fort uh evidence uh, that she was a human sorceress, an icy Mel, and not an other. Um, so the thing about the wall's defenses is that 
George has told us over and over and over again that um, the wall is not as secure as it seems. That even though it's 700 feet tall and goes coast to coast, people climb it. That even though there's there's the Night's Watch guarding it, people find a way through it all the time. They sail around it or they go underneath it in Gorn's way or there's the Black Gate. So just because it seems impenetrable doesn't mean it actually is. Um, especially if the children in the forest are in charge of it. Um, although the Night's Queen thing is so weird because there's literally one reference to her and then that's it. It's one of those, it's one of those small things that came from like the world of ice and fire. I think was it the world of ice and fire. Let me find this out. Hang on a second. I don't even think she's mentioned by name. Um, to write POV. Where is this? Hang on a second. Knights. Queen. Ah, yes, the Corpse Queen. She's mentioned uh, in the Storm of Swords and the World of Ice and Fire briefly. That's kind of it. God love our fandom. Give them a small detail and it becomes the most important thing in the world. I do it too. We all do it. It's fun. Um, Shots of the evening. drink every time you get one wrong and twice when you get one right oh boy you guys are gonna be really drunk um a question here from guilty undertaker given the rarity of skin changing and green seeing is the fact that all six star children have uh, abilities a thermodynamic miracle or an early sign of magic on the rise so uh the old question why are all the stark skin changers um yeah, it's um, it is curious. I mean, there's there's a long history that the Starks have been skin changers for a long time. Um, they always they had their dire wolves um, up until like two, three hundred years ago, essentially. Um, they've probably been skin changers the whole time. There's also hints that maybe uh, Liana and Brandon were skin changers as well, just like latent ones. They didn't have their dire wolves. There's the hint um, that uh liana and brandon uh were called centaurs which is of course half horse half human which is how bran gets depicted in um melisandre's vision it's a um a, a boy with a wolf's head um so it may be that it's the dire wolves that awakened their abilities um the other explanations get really complicated and you start talking about like okay so what made Ned different? Either all the Starks have been skin changers this whole time, and for some reason it's now manifesting something to do with Catelyn. I've heard like uh, theories going back, tracing her bloodline to like the Wents or something like that, and like saying like, "Oh, Mad," or in uh, the Wastons, like, "Oh, Mad Donnell." She there's something about bats with her. Maybe she's a skin changer too. I'm guessing it's the um, it's the direwolves that have caused them to essentially all awaken their skin changer abilities that um because that that's the magical thing that happens like there's no hint of them skin changing anything before the direwolves show up and then the direwolves show up and then all of a sudden they all their powers are going nuts so i'm guessing it's the um i'm guessing it's the uh 
direwolf mother and all of them getting them that ended up being the thing that triggered it that's just my guess though um it seems i I think if you look at the crypts and the statues and the history that there's a long history of the starks being skin changers pretty much the entire time um but they ended up losing the direwolves over time yeah, exactly. Uh, Egret Targaryen uh, says, yes, because John's a skin changer, too, and he's not cats. Therefore, yes, it cannot be just cat. It has to be there has to be an, an explanation that works for John, too. So if Liana and Ned are both latent skin changers, then their children would be, too, or at least some of them. Uh, why there are so many? Yeah, George likes the idea of destiny. He likes the idea of big moments of destiny coming through, like Danny hatching the dragons after the Targaryens failing for 150 years or essentially like that um the story has to start somewhere basically and he's decided it would start with this family um dabs of the evening oh my god oh uh somebody was asking about my beer collection so yeah a second these are the oma gang oh you can see my lights there by accident these are the oma gang um game of thrones beers Almost all of them. I'm just missing one. I'm missing um, the Three-Eyed Raven one. I've been trying to find it forever. I can't find it. It's not in stores anywhere. Um, That's the last one I'm missing. If I get that one, I will have every one of the Oma Game Brewery Game of Thrones beers. I have the Royal Reserves over here. <laughs> hang on a second lost my uh, headphones there for a second i've got the um iron blood ones uh i've got the small ones that they put out i've also got the um johnny walker song of ice and fire whiskeys over there um so yeah actually if anybody has the three-eyed raven beer and doesn't want any more, drop me a DM. That one will complete my my collection. Um, our question here from Micah. Uh, could it be the magic isn't as dead as people think? And maybe maesters want it hidden. <gasps> the maester conspiracy. Um, we see many things in wargs and various houses, dragons very recently. Maybe magic is just hidden. I think it's, I think, yeah, I think that's true. That magic has largely been hidden for quite a long time. Like Leaf says, she walked among the humans for hundreds of years. She's magic. So I think it's just that like the Andal culture, the Andal culture and the faith of the seven is so hostile to um, skin changers and old God stuff that those who have it basically just don't tell anybody. Yes, yes, there there exists Game of Thrones beers. It's actually it took me quite a long time to find all of them. Um, one summer, I essentially I made a list of all the um, the beer stores in the local area that received any Oma Gang Game of Thrones beers when they were coming out, and essentially went to them one by one to try and find them. Um, just missed that one. Yeah, anybody got that um, Three-Eyed Raven one? Let me know. That's the last one. 
magical erasure. I think th- I think the magic people just got better at hiding. Like we see from beyond the wall that clearly skin changers are still around. There's a society among them. It's just that they know to keep themselves basically. Um, oh, I'm sorry, Micah. Well, you can always send me an email or, um, or you can DM me or something. Ask Joe magician at gmail.com um, for future streams and that kind of things. If you want them sent in ahead of time, I will answer them. Do they have distilled spirits in Westeros? Well, they have mead. That's but that's not really distilled spirits. I'm not really sure. I'd have to look that one up. Have I contacted the brewery? Yes, they will not. Whatever they have in stock, they won't sell to me personally. Uh, a store would have to order them. I've tried. I can't find it. Um. All right. So I think that's about it. You guys have any last questions? Tag me now um at joe magician ask him and um we've been going for about two hours here i know that at five o'clock i think radio westeros is coming back on the air um they're gonna be talking about aria hota i don't have a link for it think you guys have the radio westeros stream um ready to go just drop it in the chat so that people know where to go next um speaking of game of thrones merch, i just want to reiterate that coming up soon i'll be launching my threadless shop um where you'll be able to get the sweet, sweet magician merch. Um, all of it drawn by San Rixian because she is the best. Um, I make nice with this distributor. None of them have been nice to me about doing that. So, yeah. They basically stopped doing the Game of Thrones beers at this point. So, not, not much of a chance there. Um, and obviously, the Tired Prince video will be coming out later this week. Early next week. Uh, or early this, this coming week. Yeah, uh, video's done. I just have to add in the um, a few things about the giveaway. Um, so yeah, thank you guys for uh, hanging out this Saturday. Uh, looks like we peaked at 167 viewers. Thank you guys so much. Um, glad you enjoy hanging out with me. I hope you guys enjoyed the new microphone and all the setup. Um, and let's see here. Okay, last ones. Hunter Grant. Um, let's see here. They say the theory that the Andals are really an offshoot of the worshippers of the many-faced god who hate ruins because they don't die. Evidence of Septon saying that the Seven is really one. Um, it is c- curious. The um, Andalos is very close to Bravos. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if there was some crossover. Um, although Bravos is a created... Um, Oh, here we go. I got the, I got the link. Let me drop it here. Not done yet. Done. Hang on. Hang on. I'm just going to answer these last ones real quick. Um, and Bravos is not a native culture. They made it. They were a Valyrian slave that escaped. Um, if there's some crossover between whatever small population was left in Andalos and the Bravosi, that would make a little bit of sense. Um, that that's uh, that's a good question though. Um, what is the relationship between the faceless men and the Andals? That would be worth a theory. I would, I would, I would like to see somebody pulling that together. And last one here from uh, Hypatia. Moon singers, those who sing the songs of the earth. Related, Song of Ice and Fire, Music of Dragons. George loves music. He loves music quite a lot. Um, and it's also he loves Lord of the Rings. And all of Lord of the Rings is based on song. 
Um, that's why Tom Bombadil always sings. And a lot of people think that maybe he's Eru Iluvatar. Although I think Tolkien has said no. Like um, Melkor's or Morgoth's evil in the world. It's him singing a different song from Eru Iluvatar and the other um, Maiar and the Einar. I think that's their names. Um, the elves sing all the time. Like I think George is just sort of, he loves Lord of the Rings. That's like one of his favorite stories. So um, every, everything in Lord of the Rings was sung into existence. And I'm guessing that that's kind of what George was, uh, was playing on there. Um, there's singers for everything. Oh yeah. Guilty undertaker. The Andals did come long before the founding of Bravos, though. That's what, like, that's what I mean. If like, if there's some native Andal culture that ended up spilling over into Bravos as it was built, like maybe that's what's going on. Or maybe the faceless men are like some part of Andal OC culture or something like that. Who knows? Who knows? Anyway, um, remember, uh, in, in about 40 minutes, right? Oh, 50 minutes. Radio Westeros is going live. Drop the link in the chat. Uh, thank you guys. Thank everybody that, um, if super chats and PayPal's and sign up on Patreon, um, this was quite a lot today, so I, I really appreciate it, you guys. Um, yeah, have a good Saturday and uh, look forward to new stuff coming in your sub boxes soon.